1: Probably sort of. I'm Jason. I'm a guy in long-term quarantine.
0: And I'm Billy. I'm also a person in long-term recovery of quarantine or <laughs> whatever we're doing now. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, and so today, for the first time ever, we are not in person. We are recording remotely to try to, you know, respect all the, the rules and regulations and, and attempt to, you know, still continue to lessen this curve and save lives and and do what we're supposed to do to, you know, remain not spreading uh, COVID-19 to the best of our ability. Um, you may have just heard, we have a new theme song. Uh, that is a wonderful song from the 90s uh, by Jimmy Chicken Shack. So I'm super excited about that. I actually got permission from the guys in Jimmy's Chicken Shack to use that. So that's awesome. Um, go back just to recap a little bit about last week. We talked about You know whether special interest meetings, including men's raps, women's raps, uh, LGBTQ meetings, anything of those sorts. uh, Whether it was against traditions, whether it was fine and dandy, and I like to think that you know we had a a lot of good conversation about that. I think both sides sort of have some valid points, depending on how you're looking at it. Um, I do think for for me and. Billy, at least, uh, I would say, and I hope I'm speaking for both of us. I believe you were kind of arguing this side already. I, I think we kind of both agree that they're doing more good than they are doing
0: harm, for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Okay.
1: And so, you know, we didn't, I didn't go and ask for a lot of feedback about this topic. I kind of posted a little bit on Twitter. Um, and one of the feedbacks we got from there, generally most people, because uh, a lot of the people in there are, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and a lot of them, you know, this is like kind of old news to them. I think they had this argument 30 years ago or something. Um, but one of the people uh, who I guess they don't need to be too anonymous, it says AA Online Meetings Ireland is their name. Um, but they said that it depends on which country you're in. And for them in Ireland, the answer is no, there are no special interest groups meetings allowed by the AA General Service Board. So I find that kind of interesting. Um one, that they don't allow it in a certain country. Like maybe they've thought, hey, because, you know, Ireland's got some touchy history about different groups and polarization and, and maybe hate groups. Uh, maybe that's why they felt they shouldn't have those kind of special interest meetings because that might go, uh, that might go off into left field somewhere. But I also found it kind of interesting that you know, from my understanding, our service structure is upside down and the groups are the highest form of service structure. You know, they have the largest vote and they decide. And then from there, it, it goes the opposite direction. And And they're saying that Ireland's AA General Assembly decided that that's a no. So I guess maybe the General Assembly is the, the groups all voting together. Um, I just thought that was interesting. It almost seemed like a top down, you know, business format type deal there
0: yeah and i'm not familiar with the aa service structure um so i can't say whether that's the case or not that is interesting
1: you might be yeah you might be right their their service structure might be different than theirs i would doubt it i feel like we we really just did their program and threw an n in place of their a
0: <laughs> well see and i thought that too but as i you know, the more I sort of delve into it, it, because of the podcast, I've probably read more AA material in the last six, seven months than I've ever read in my entire life. And I've found that, you know, a lot of the that we have in, you know, that we've taken, you know, we do have some unique concepts of our own in Narcotic Narcotics Anonymous, like the fact that, you know, newcomers are the most important person and, and that sort of thing. They don't, tend to tout those kind of things in AA and I had always just assumed the same thing. I thought well we just took that program, we turned it to drugs and everything else is just stealing from them. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say stealing because we were given permission, but it's it's following in those footsteps. And I think the more that I learn or read, the more that I see that's not as clear cut as I thought it was. You know, I got to say,
1: I thought the same thing. I imagine we just borrowed the whole program and and plugged in narcotics instead of alcohol. Uh, And yet, I don't know why I thought that, because I know that as addicts, we're like terminally unique and we would have to make it our own. And no, we can't be like that. (laughs) right so why a yeah, fight for a unique right, right why i thought we would have just done that i don't know um you know if they wore pants we'd have swore we had to wear shorts for sure um, right we did also post a, a discussion similar to this on on reddit um and and going through that there was quite a bit of talk about it but honestly uh basically the the takeaway was mostly that everybody's pretty much fine with it. There was like one or two people that said, ah, it seems like it's against traditions, but like, I don't know, the other 38 people were all like, yeah, of course, it's great, man. Let's fucking do it. And then, so I, I guess, I don't know. It seems very much like people are in tune with, you know, this does seem to provide more than it, uh, you know, takes away from. Um, one little personal touch was a friend of mine, Brittany on Twitter and she talked about being a chick with specific issues, and how women's meetings were incredibly valuable to her, especially early on. Um, you know, she had some some trauma that had uh, happened at the hands of men at a different part in her life, and and not that she wanted to hold that against them, but it was just really hard for her to be comfortable in a in an open meeting, and so it was it was. I don't know. The more I heard, basically, the more it reinforced where we got last week. It was like, yeah, dude, why Why have I held on to this for so long? Even even holding on to it in a minor, like, back of my head kind of way, like, it's not a big deal. I won't talk about it openly, but it just kind of annoys me. And it was, it was like, why? Why do I even let it kind of annoy me? Like, this is great. People are being reached by
0: this. And I do think, though, there is an important place where the traditions come into that. And that is that we, we can't turn people away. You know, it, it, like it's, it's important that we have those meetings, they serve a big function. and, And I think they're, you know, definitely, you know, needed for some people. But it's also important that those types of meetings special interest meetings recognize that if someone shows up at the door you don't turn them away you don't just you know oh this isn't for you and, and tell them to go away you as a special interest meeting also need to abide by these traditions you know you need to remember what the primary purpose is of narcotics anonymous or your 12-step fellowship remember you know that unity is is our you know first tradition and and you know, hopefully have an atmosphere of welcoming and loving, caring, compassion towards another suffering addict if they happen to show up there, you know, on purpose or by mistake.
1: Yeah. And so one of the people uh, you did remind me of the LGBTQ meetings, they were talking about that on Reddit and they were saying, you know, it wasn't no big deal if somebody showed up. Nobody asked of their sexual preference if you happen to be straight and you just wanted to come there or whatever. And it made me think, I'm like, well, yeah, well, that's way easier to, you know, do than it is to show up at a women's rap if you're a guy or men's uh-huh. rap if you're a woman. Like, that's a little tougher. I was thinking some of the other ones, like youth and recovery. Like, who, where's the cutoff? For- <laughs> right. right? Like,
0: who decides? Under 30? They check your ID at the door. You know, you get ID'd. It's like the reverse of the club. Yeah,
1: you know, yeah. like, Under gotta- right. 26 only. Uh, that's hilarious, uh, I do think, and and we didn't really ever get to this point, I think part of the reason you brought up that topic before last week was to sort of evaluate the whole idea we have about the newcomer being the most important person in the meeting, and I don't think we ever touched on that, and uh, yeah. just in some online meetings this week, I've heard that a couple of times, and uh, you know, now that you've brought it up, I'm listening with more of a critical ear for it, but um, And and just thinking a little more about it every time I hear it. Like, what do I really think about that? Because in general, I say I agree. Uh, But that could just be that I've heard it so many times that I randomly agree and don't think about it. So now I want to think about it. Um, But I I think if we delve into that right here, we'll miss the whole fourth step, which is the whole purpose of us being here. So maybe we'll save that topic (laughs) for a future episode. Yeah. So uh, obviously today. Hello. Welcome. The fourth step. Right. Uh, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, which got to say, like when I first got here, this was one of those awful sounding steps uh, and people talked about it like it was so terrible. And and I'll say it's terrible, probably for the amount of writing it takes uh, in our particular step working guide. But. Just even the, the sounding of the title, Searching in Fearless Moral Inventory of Ourself, that sounds awful. Like, I just got here. You just convinced me this was a disease, and I was a sick person trying to get better, not a bad person, and now you're going to bring back into play morals, and that just made me feel... Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, it definitely seemed uh, pretty overwhelming early on, that's for sure.
1: So I went through some of our literature and just pulled out some stuff uh, that that seemed relevant. Most of us, uh, this is a quote out of one of our books. I don't even remember at this point. Most of us came to Narcotics Anonymous because we wanted to stop something using drugs. We probably didn't put much thought into what we were starting, a program of recovery. And that's actually out of the Step Working Guide. I do remember now. But I, I think that's a pretty interesting thing to say. Like, I would agree. I, I got the N.A., trying to stop using drugs. I, I wasn't thinking, Oh yeah, I'm going to start a new way of life and, you know, live by spiritual principles. Like I'm like, please help me. stop
0: Right. I need to change everything about myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right.
1: Uh, and so that's cool. So I think that's a good acknowledgement in the fourth step. Uh, and then it goes on to say, first, we should ask ourselves what we want out of recovery. Most of us answer this question by saying that we just want to be comfortable or happy or serene. We just want to like ourselves. But how can we like ourselves when we didn't even know who we are? And I, I like the, how that explains that. I think that's kind of a good uh, starting point for why to do a fourth step I don't know that what I wanted out of recovery early on was comfortability or happiness or serenity. I wasn't even really familiar with that. Like I said, when I got here, I wanted to stop using. Um, Now, when that didn't instantly fix my life and I started working steps because I needed something more, I I did start to realize that, like, I don't know who I am, right? Um, I had been kind of this chameleon throughout my life. Um, I made up parts of my story at times I became people that I I don't know if it was who I was or wasn't who I was if I hung out with people who had green and purple hair and listened to alternative music then that's what I was and then I remember I broke up with a girl and I was like talking to this other girl who listened to hip-hop and the next thing you know I had you know a Bone Thugs and Harmony CD and it was just like I, I don't I don't know that I ever really knew exactly who I was. I just wanted to be liked and accepted. And so I kind of morphed into whatever I thought the people around me were looking for. Uh, Not hearing you. Uh Technical difficulties.
0: Maybe I have to pull back up to the Uh, anchor app. Is that better?
1: Yeah,
0: I hear you again. Okay. Well, I must not have been able to do what I wanted. So um, anyway, what I was going to say, I think for me in the beginning, that overwhelmingness of the fourth step had to do with the amount of work. Like I always, you know, I I, I don't want to call myself lazy, but I tended to be in my addiction. I did things that were easy for me and that came easy to me. And if something seemed like it was going to be a lot of work or take a lot of effort, um, I really wasn't that interested. And so when I first got clean, I think that was my same approach. You know, I, I did my steps originally out of the, you know, off of a, uh, off a dittos off of something given to me by my sponsor. And uh, they were just one page with like seven or eight questions on it. It wasn't like the step working guide with the whole write about your whole self kind of thing. And so I was like, Oh, I can answer these 10 questions. That's going to take like an hour. You know, when it came to a fourth step, it was like, wow, really, I got to write, you know, about my entire life, all this stuff that just seems like way too much work, more than I'm willing to do. Um, but like I say, there was also a part of me that, one, I had some, you know, I don't know, I guess secrets, you know, things that had happened to me with some, you know, being sexually abused and and some things that I just never really shared about or was open about with people and thinking that that's like I might actually have to be honest about that and then similarly I think there was some lies in my story that I had told for so long that I thought they were true you know like like I lived this lie so long that it was almost like the reality I had created in my own head you know and and when I got clean sort of to to Take ownership of some of that was a little bit overwhelming
1: no absolutely and uh and some of these quotes actually touch on both of those things you just mentioned and and i uh i was buying in when i was reading them because i i felt exactly the same way um but i i did i i know now like when i talk to people about the fourth step and really it's not so much that they come up and say hey jason tell me about the fourth step like that's not what happens people talk about uh, Hey, I have three months clean. I'm halfway through step one. I'm getting ready to get in a relationship. I might propose to this girl and ask her to marry me. And I'm like, uh, I don't think you know yourself yet. <laughs> right. Like, <I>
0: that's, <laughs> right. Maybe that's not the best. Right. Idea. Right. So,
1: yeah. Well, so my experience says until I worked like a four through seven, I really did not have a concept of who I was. I had an image of who I thought I was. But I didn't have the ability to really dig into that and see what part was real and what part I had just created. Um, And so I guess reading that quote out of our literature kind of stuck out to me. It was like, yeah, we how can we like ourselves when we don't really know ourselves? Um, Another quote went on to say, how can we make sure and this talks about, you know, the end of the third step, how can we make sure we are really turning our will and our lives over to the care of God? the answer is simple we work the remainder of the steps starting with step four and i you know sometimes i kind of like in your face uh responses to people like people who might work one through three and then never uh never tackle four and say they're okay and i and i look at this and i'm like really because you're not really working three if you're not doing the rest of them like that's kind of part of the point of this is to continue working the steps um So I think one of the big problems people can have with this step is the idea of the moral inventory, right? Because everything I was taught about morals has to do with, you know, the way society has come together to form these ideas of what's right and what's wrong. Oh, you shouldn't cheat on your partner. That's wrong. Uh, You should, you know, maybe some societies think you should go to church on Sundays. Like morals were something that were put on me. They were not something I came up with myself. And I think that's where my problem with step four came. Uh, And so I needed to hear things like the purpose of a searching and fearless moral inventory is to sort through the confusion and the contradiction of our lives so that we can find out who we really are. I needed descriptions and definitions to lay out. Like the point of this is not to morally judge me while i'm doing this the point of this is to figure out who in the world i am and why i don't act like that right why is it that i say um i want to be faithful to my partner and yet every relationship i get in i'm not right i need to get to the bottom of this like there's some reason that i keep doing this behavior contrary to what i believe should be my morals not what other people say should be um and so I needed clarification like that to understand this and not judge myself.
0: Yeah. And for myself, I think being raised, you know, religiously being raised Catholic, I had always been told what my morals and values should be. These are what you should believe. These are how you should be living. Obviously, you know, in addiction, I wasn't living any of that. And I don't think that I even was before, you know, getting into addiction. So, you know, I definitely thought that something was, wrong with me, that I was not a quote-unquote moral person, not, you know, thinking that morals were what you needed to get into heaven. You know, it's like a misunderstanding, all these things, and, uh, you know, it did help me a lot to realize what this was, the inventory process, the purpose of it was to sort through all that stuff and figure out, well, what do I believe, what is important to me, uh, what are some you know, things that are worth holding on to and what are some things that are worth letting go, you know, and and until I got into that inventory, I didn't realize a lot of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would totally agree with that. Um, Now, this next thing, I'm not trying to cause any controversy uh, amongst anyone, but this, i read some part of this basic text today and this might be, so there's parts of the basic text that I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'd really completely 100% believe that, you know, I've early on. I remember my sponsor saying like the basic text was like the Bible and it was all true and it was definite and you couldn't (laughs) argue with it. And I will say, I completely argue with this next quote that I found in our literature. It said, we have found that fear is a lack of faith. And we have found a loving personal God to whom we can turn. We no longer need to be afraid. What? Like, The rest of our literature and even the rest of the part of this literature talks about how we need courage to work this step and how we should allow ourselves to be afraid if that's how we feel. Uh, I I do want to point out, you can't have courage if you're not also afraid. Like, (laughs) So for there to be, I don't know, for them to say we no longer need to be afraid, that just bothers me. I'm like, uh, I think I'm always going to be afraid. And I like walk through it. I don't know. Does that bother you at all or you just don't care?
0: (laughs) Um, Well, again, I think if you isolate that term and take it out of the context of the bigger picture, it kind of because immediately I think, well, you need like fear is a is a feeling and like it doesn't matter if we like our feelings or don't like our, like, we feel the way we feel. As far as I understand, I don't get to control how I feel, you know, like I don't, I don't just get to go, Oh, I got all this faith. I don't have to be afraid anymore. You know, if I'm walking down a dark alley at night and I see a crazy barking dog, I don't think, you know, any amount of faith is going to get me through being a little intimidated, you know, (laughs) being, being fearful of that situation, you know? So fear is not, uh, something that I get to, uh, will away. You know, I don't get to wish it away. It's just a feeling that comes up. Um, and I, just like you had said, I think what I learn in recovery is what do I do with that fear? Well, one thing's for sure. You know, I need to recognize it, accept it and own it. Hey, I'm in this situation. I'm in this situation. I feel fear. You know, what are some things that I can do to help me with these feelings? You know, that's what recovery has taught me to do is, is not to, you know, sit on my feelings and hide them away or force them down or convince myself that I need to feel a different way. It's like to recognize it, to own it, and then use principles or life skills or whatever you want to call it to get through those feelings. Um, and again, fear is a natural Sometimes healthy, useful feeling. <laughs> like there are situations I get in that I should be fearful. You know, if I uh, you know start convincing myself, hey, I'm going to go down to bar every Friday night because they play live music and it's exciting and it's interesting. There's a lot going on down there. You know, maybe that's a good place to go hang out. Um, fear in that case can save my life. Right. You know? <laughs> like, being a little bit worried that, hey, you know, maybe that's not the best place for me. You know, I don't think having faith is the best way to deal with my fear in that situation yeah i don't i don't know that uh i don't know that i should just
1: like pray to god and then ride my bike on the edge of a cliff like that's that's not not a deal for me yeah i don't know that just really stuck out i know uh an old friend of mine pat um talks about how when he went through a pretty dire circumstance with uh some white blood cell cancer in his life um he learned for himself that definitely fear and faith live in the same house, even though he had heard throughout his recovery, the statement that they don't. Um, and I, and I would agree. I think they kind of go hand in hand. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't see, you know, my belief in my faith removing my fear. Can it lessen it? Can it help me walk through it? Sure. I just really didn't like, like i read that and I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe anybody ever wrote that. What is, <laughs> what is wrong? yeah um so the next thing oh i like this one too it said a written inventory will unlock parts of your of our subconscious that remain hidden when we simply think about or talk about who we are once it is all down on paper it is much easier to see and much harder to deny our true nature and i just i think that is crucial um you know, I can say, I can talk about the, the putting it on paper part, but for me, I always relate this to if you've ever, you know, had friends that came up to you and they were having relationship troubles or job troubles and whatever it was going on in their life, it just seemed obvious to you what the answer was, right? You seemed really mad, like, <laughs> you know, obviously you're supposed to do this, but when we get into situations in our own lives, we don't have that same ability, right? And what I've always equated it to is, in our lives, we have, you know, the rational, logical, what's the right thing to do, but we're also dealing with those feelings, kind of like, hey, we we know we should do a four step, but we're also scared. Um, how do we, you know, work our way through that situation? Whereas when a friend comes to us, we can say, hey, yeah, I get that you're scared, but we're not personally feeling it, uh, just write the goddamn four step, right? Or Uh, just don't cheat on that girl, that's not good for you. Well, yeah, that sounds great, but this other girl sounds really appealing when she texts me and sends me pictures of herself, right? So it's one of those things, I think it's easier to solve people's problems when we don't have the feelings attached. It's almost like seeing it from a different view and that's why we can't fix our own problems because there's so many feelings in the way of what, you know, there's the right thing and the way we feel about it. And I think putting it on paper gives us the ability to look at our life from a third person point of view, like we would a friends.
0: Yeah. And I know, uh, like for me, you know, I learned about things early on in the steps, like, you know, denial and rationalization justification. And I, I learned what those words were and I learned how they worked in my life, but just because I understand what they are and how they work in my life, doesn't make them go away. You know, I still have situations in my life today where I'm in denial, where I justify behaviors or rationalize behaviors. You know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm only looking through it at the situation through my own rose colored glasses. So I only see it the way that I see it. Um, And, you know, just because I know now, Oh, I'm an addict and I suffer from, you know, this habit of substitution, rationalization, doesn't stop that um when i started writing out you know let's take like the relationship section of the four step i'd say oh i was in this relationship and you know this is where it went bad and i was in this relationship and this is where it went bad and by when i'm living through it each of those is this unique experience that's totally separate from all the other relationships but when i'm analyzing it the way that I did it in sections, you know, and I look at these relationships and I see, oh, this one went bad because of me. This one went bad because of me. This one went bad because of me. And all of a sudden, it's like these patterns of thought, these patterns of action, like popped out at me that I was totally oblivious to before. Because in, in every case before, everything's unique and different and special but like say now when i write it down i can say oh you know i feel like you know this person's out to get me that person's out to get me the world's out to get me the job owes me my parents owe me the courts owe me and it's like wait i have a fucking habit of thinking everybody owes me something right. you know like and those kind of those kind of thought patterns escaped me before i didn't recognize them until i wrote them down you know and and it is something about you know writing it down that helps to push a little bit of that emotion away.
1: Yeah. And and I like what you said. It's funny. The next quote that I had was we were trying to free ourselves of living in old, useless patterns. Um, And I I think you're right. I think we are able to better see patterns when we put them on paper. Like I didn't realize uh, and these names will be made up to protect, you know, the innocent. Uh, I didn't realize that my, you know, first girlfriend, Brenda, was the same girl I dated for the next 11 women uh they were all brenda right and i just kept doing the same shit and i had no right. idea they all seemed so different in my mind and then when they were on paper right next to each other it was like oh shit i just dated brenda 13 different times with you know 12 different names and i never knew it and so i think you're right we we can see the patterns better when they're laid out in front of us um and what did it say harder to deny our true nature right harder to deny our part in it <laughs> yeah. um So, where do we go? Oh, yeah. So, if the world, if the word moral bothers us, we may call it a positive-negative inventory. Uh, We're not taking our inventory to compare ourselves with what we think is normal for others, but only to identify our own values, principles, and morals. I I really got the feeling through reading a lot of this four-step literature, it was really trying to convince us that the word moral is, is not, uh, against us or out to get us. I almost, I'm almost like, God, we could have, we could have wrote 18 less pages about the fourth step. If we just changed the goddamn word, like, right. I mean, don't get me wrong. I appreciated this early on. I, I definitely, it was easier to look at, Hey, let me figure out what values matter to me than it was to think like you talked about, like the church morals and values judging me. Um, but yeah, well, I, I do kind of question, why don't we change that word? Why don't we call it like a, a fearless <laughs> and searching, uh, you know, inventory of ourselves? Why does it even have to be moral? Why, why can't it just be an inventory? Right,
0: right? personal inventory. <laughs> I mean, there was a, there's
1: a line that calls it a positive-negative inventory, right? So I don't know. It just really weirds me out that we stick with the word moral and then spend, you know, 16 pages trying to explain why that's not what we think it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I know uh, for me that by the time I got to the step and, and really worked it, um, I, I think my faith that I had developed in the third step, you know, helped me not get too hung up on that kind of stuff. And maybe it was some of those things in the reading. But, you know, I, I heard some people describe it as just like it's going to be you could write out your life story, just start from day one and start writing all the way through and write whatever you think is important. And then we'll go over it and talk about it. You know, I've heard people doing it that way um, where it's more like a, write a freaking autobiography of yourself, I guess, you know, I don't know. I've heard people say they did whatever four or five notebooks full of shit. I didn't have all that. Mine was fairly simple. It was definitely less right. than one full notebook <laughs> like, it, it was not this you know hundreds of pages of deep philosophical bullshit um which for me is odd because I love to act like I'm deep philosophical <laughs> you know person and pontificate on all kinds of great ideas but you know and, and maybe that's part of the problem is maybe I think too much and I overcomplicate and and confuse things too much in my own head and so you know, when I got to the inventory, I just sort of approached it as like, it's just one question at a time. I don't really know. You know, I'm just taking it. I'm just going to answer this next question and see what happens.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, uh ah, man, you had a point in there and I lost it, whatever it was. Uh I definitely, I don't know. Maybe if people were writing uh, eight notebooks full of stuff, they were writing really big or something. I don't know. <laughs> I definitely didn't have that much either. And I, I feel like I'm with you. I have a whole lot to say. Uh, obviously, that's why we have a podcast where we don't stop talking, right? Uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, the next quote definitely, you know, again, gives us another good idea. What is meant by a searching and fearless moral inventory? We take stock of our assets and liabilities. We try to get to, at the bottom of who we are to expose the lies we have told ourselves about ourselves For years, we became whoever we needed to be to survive our addiction. After living a lifetime of lies, we began to believe those lies. Although we did discover some valuable truths in the first step, the fourth step further separates fantasy from reality. We can begin to stop being the person we have invented and find the freedom to be who we are. Um, And so I think that, you know, goes back to talk about a little bit about what you said earlier about how we invented who we are and. Uh, some of the lies you had started to believe. I know, when I got here, and even working some steps, I shared for a long time that I had been in like seven or eight different detoxes. And I think when I got here, that was kind of the story that was regularly being shared that I heard, it was almost like a rite of passage, how many detoxes you had gone to, and if you'd been to jail, and like all these things were like, kind of like your qualifications for how how much of an addict you were or how sick you were. I don't know. It was almost like a competition who was the sickest. Right. Like, and so my story regularly, regularly became that I was in like seven or eight different detoxes and this, that, and the other. And so recently uh, I got into the process of trying to file for a pardon and they actually want that information. Have you ever gone to drug treatment? Where, when, blah, 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 blah. So I was talking with my mother about trying to remember, like trying to piece together my life and where I actually went. And we, all, we can only come up with three. And so I don't know where this lie of like seven or eight came from, but apparently I've been at three. Uh, I might have been at one or two of them more than once, but it did not equal seven. And so it's just interesting that even later on in life, like still figuring out the lies that I made up and still kind of believe.
0: Yeah, and some of that stuff it's it's weird. I mean, I know of course now, the way memory works, like w- what we know about memories, it's totally not true. It can definitely be, like the story that our brain uses to help us recall something, but it could be totally unfactual. I mean, we've all had the well, if you have siblings or whatever, you know, you tell a story about when you were kids and. Three, you know, me and my brother and sister all have a different recollection of the same thing. And we know we all went there, but our memory is completely different. You know, it's memory is totally uh, fallible. <laughs> so uh, sometimes writing some of that stuff out, you know, helps with some of that recall and to, to weed through uh, right,
1: the bullshit. Right. The other interesting part I found in this uh, this paragraph was the fact that the second sentence, because the first sentence is what is meant by a searching and fearless moral inventory, again questioning why we have these words in the in the step. The second sentence says we take stock of our assets and liabilities. Why in the hell is the step not we take stock of our assets and liabilities? <laughs> Easier to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still, yeah, I'm I'm baffled by this, honestly. Uh, But I do think this is probably a good place to to take a break for our ad, uh, and then we'll come right back and do some more talk about the fourth step.
0: This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies together. Members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause.
1: all right welcome back uh to jump back in on the fourth step the next quote that i had was it said however our experience as a fellowship has shown that sooner or later members who don't work this crucial step relapse and i thought that was kind of a bold and interesting statement and really um i don't want to say that i i you know that this stood all that far out to me, I guess I tend to sort of believe in that statement. Um, But I I was really curious when I read it, what your take on that was like, I will say that many people that I have watched come into the program that don't work steps at all, or don't get to step four or don't work step four when they get there, don't stick around. Uh, Generally that means they probably go back out and use. I don't know that that's true for everybody. Because generally, if you don't use again, you don't come back. So I don't ever hear from you. Um, But what's your take on that? Do you think that people who don't work this step sooner or later relapse?
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, and so if you go back a couple of podcasts ago, when we talked about what do we really think addiction is or where it comes from, um, I think this searching and fearless moral inventory gets into some of that, you know, most of us, have ended up in, you know, seeking recovery or, or caught up in addiction because of tragedy and personal trauma and the things that have happened to us. Um, And unless we come to terms with that, you know, unless we find some way to, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, like take ownership of that and do something about it, you know, that, using is always going to be the relief of that pain, you know? And so unless we do something about the pain, it'll always be there. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think if we have an inability to, you know, examine our lives and change any of our behaviors, you know, the the old saying in our fellowship is like the same addict will use again. I'm sure that's probably stolen and it's probably the same alcoholic will drink again. And the same gambler will gamble again. And, uh, I think if we don't have the ability to examine ourselves from a fresh set of eyes, um, which we, we gain when we put it on paper, then, yeah, we are kind of destined to go back to similar behaviors. Even if it's not using again, uh, I don't think we're going to live this happy, joyous, serene, free life. right? I, th- I still think we're going to be caught up in trying to cover up our, our, our feelings, um, even if it's not with the drugs anymore. Uh, the next, oh yeah. So the next one says, many of us have discovered as we work the fourth step that our problems didn't begin the first time we took drugs, but long before, when the seeds of our addiction were actually planted. We may have felt isolated and different long before we took drugs. Um, for me, this is part of my share. Almost every time I share, I talk about how the steps have allowed me to see long before drugs, how I felt different than other people and how I felt like something was wrong with me. And the ways in which that, uh, you know, took action in my life, basically, Uh, I felt different than other kids, I wanted to be accepted. And so I started doing things that were against my own morals and values that I was raised with, and I truly believed in order to fit in, right. And for me, that took the form of like, the kids, the cool kids supposedly in my neighborhood vandalized property. Um, you know, that was their form of entertainment at times. And so I didn't believe in doing that. I thought that was awful. People, you know, worked hard for their stuff, but I compromised my own values to try to be a part of the group and to try to be accepted. And I, like, so I can see there, if I would have already liked myself, I wouldn't have needed to do that. I wouldn't have needed that acceptance and I wouldn't have needed to go against my own morals And then I I started the cycle because by going against my morals, I felt shameful about my actions. And then I had to do more things against my morals and get more acceptance to cover that shame up, which only produced more shame. And it just got into that whole, you know, that addict cycle of producing shame, covering it up. But the ways I cover it up produce more shame and so on.
0: Yeah. And it's that cycle that keeps us trapped, you know, that that shame. I feel so bad about who and what I've become that I need to use in order to just be okay. (laughs) Um, And it's interesting. So in reading some of the the AA literature, you know, they had a little different, I don't want to say different, but the language is a little older in their writing. So they talk about it as being like our living instincts are warped. And that, um, you know, we have these natural desires and that somewhere along the way, You know, they've gotten twisted and skewed, and um, there was a little thing. I just want to pull a little piece out of this. I didn't mention this to you earlier. I just thought here now, and it tied into what you're saying um, out of their literature. It says, we want to find exactly how, when, and where our natural desires have worked us. We wish to look squarely at the unhappiness this has caused us, ourselves, and others. But by discovering what our emotional deformities are, we can move towards their correction. Without a willingness and persistent effort to do this, there can be little sobriety or contentment for us. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's where this becomes really important. This inventory becomes important because if we don't figure out, you know, why we do the things we do and why we feel the way we feel. We're just stuck feeling that way. You know, we're stuck doing those things.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, we call this step um, made a searching and fearless moral inventory. And yet, from what you just read, it's like, let's get to the bottom of our discontent, right? Let's figure out what it is that's making us miserable. Uh, Again, we could really rename this step. I I think I might start a crusade to do that. Um, Because the name of it is awful, but I, I like that understanding of it. Like, yeah, let's get to the bottom of why my life is miserable and really start to get a grasp on understanding that, yes, life happens and you know, things will happen to me that are not fair and that don't feel good and that hurt. but really my misery is caused by my decision making. Um, that's what I think I started to see in this four-step process, that my discontent with life, came from my internal being and that I had the ability to like alter that over time slowly to be happy with what I had no matter what that was um kind of like right now where you know a lot of people we love our in-person meetings and and hugging and circling up and and all this stuff and our face-to-face contact and yet we're in a situation where life has given us lemons right we're stuck at home um and for me, at least, uh, I've really felt the ability to to make lemonade with it, man. I'm I'm enjoying a lot of that, and I think we're going to talk about that in a couple minutes. Um, but I think that starts in this fourth step. Like, what I could sit around and be miserable that I can't get to in-person meetings, um, and that's just not the choices I've been making. Thank God.
0: Yeah, for sure, and and you know, correcting. Um, some of my negative patterns of thinking. So I always lived in patterns of I'm never going to get enough. No one's ever going to love me enough. I'm never going to have what I want, you know, so I got to take it. I got to get it. I got to manipulate for for myself. Um, that pattern of thinking ran most of my life when I was using, and I thought that that was the way you survived, that that was a good Coping mechanism you know, right. and like you say, I didn't realize until I got clean and started okay, so what does that really look like in your life? How is that playing out in reality? and when I got into that inventory and wrote down the results of living that way, um I found out that it was not getting me what I wanted you know it wasn't serving the purpose that I thought that it should
1: hmm i you guys can't see this because you're listening to us, obviously, but I'm sitting here looking at Billy and he's got this uh Beautiful background of like trees and like a starry <laughs> night, but it's pretty well lit. And and I'm I was in a meeting yesterday, and I was out back, and like you could see the line of trees behind me. And I was like, man, this looks really serene. And amazingly, uh, the trees behind his head—I feel like he's outside at night. I really do. <laughs> I know it, you know it probably seems silly, but it really is a nice little picture to look at. I need something to hang behind my uh, myself for when I do these video things.
0: Yeah, well, this is already here. Jen hung this up over our bed, uh, in our bedroom, just reminded her of traveling. It's a, I guess it's a whatever, uh, big cloth thing of a famous painting. This is, I don't know what the painting is or whatever. I've seen it on other places. We were actually in a restaurant, and they had this exact thing painted across the whole wall of the restaurant. So it's all for some, it's a copy of a painting in a tapestry that would just hangs over our bed. I'm surprised (laughs) She felt it reminded her of traveling, and being outdoors, and out in nature. That's awesome.
1: I really do like it. I'm just picturing like you see this in the uh, in the restaurant, and you just go over and take a nap because that's your default when you're. <laughs> <Yeah, there. right. laughs> uh No, but I do. I saw somebody in a meeting that had like a a large, uh, I guess, blow up picture of a medallion behind their head with the amount of clean time they had, and I thought that. Uh. Was damn <laughs> And I'm like, man, I need like a giant, like basic text tapestry or something, just something cool to hang behind me. I don't know. I'm going to figure that out. I'm about to order. Yeah, a right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, back to the back to the fourth step. I digress. Uh, so <clears throat> one of the things that got me about the fourth step, I went into it. Um, and you mentioned this early on in this conversation, too. You talked about how you had some things that you did not think you were ever going to share with people. Um, and I similarly had some things that I felt pretty shameful about that. I was like, yeah, there's just no way I'm taking this to the grave. Nobody can ever notice kind of shit. This is the kind of stuff that, you know, and it all tied into the way I felt about me and feeling like I was less than a man. Um, I'm, I just said, if anybody knows this, they'll know for sure that I am. And I can't let that happen. Uh, And so I wrote this four step and I kept waiting for the question to come that was going to ask about it. And none of them did. And I kind of felt like I was getting away with something. I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't have to talk about this. Right. Um, And then right at the end of four step in the step working guide, it says, are there any secrets that I haven't written about yet? What are they? And I was like, these dope fiend bastards, right? (laughs) Like. Obviously I've written this eight pages back in front or whatever it was of material. I'm not going to not share it at this point and I'm not going to lie about it and say, no, there's no secrets. There's obviously a glaring secret. I've been thinking about the whole time I've been writing. Um, And at the time that was, you know, I had this, this instance happen. Um, I had done a lot of drugs with a guy. I was leaving his house. It was not a good neighborhood. Um, It was, you know, two in the morning or something. And I started to walk home and some, you know, this large group of guys from the bar that had just got out down the street, uh, encountered me and like, you know, hit me and threatened me. And, and basically, uh, you know, instead of getting beat up worse, uh, I, they made me strip naked and leave, like, just like get out of here. And so <laughs> I ran back down the street and I, I can't tell the story without laughing now. Cause I'm serious. <laughs> right, right. Uh, So I ran down the street, butt ass naked back to like my friends. He kind of had a sort of closed in porch and I hid out there for a while and I actually knocked on his door. I was going to ask him for clothes or help or something, but he never answered. Um, And so I ended up waiting it out and I walked, I was like, fuck it. I guess the best thing to do is walk home now, like while it's still dark, you know, before anybody sees me. And when I got back to where I was, my clothes were there. So I got dressed. Thank God. Uh, But I, and that was, really really shaming at the time i felt mm. so ashamed of myself i'm like oh i, I should have just died i should have let him kill me instead of you know doing this and i, I think that's kind of ridiculous now like obviously do whatever to stay alive that's the important part but i don't know i definitely find the the story humorous at this point in my life the fact that i was you know naked running around the streets of baltimore city at one point um but yeah i, I was never going to share that with anybody and You know, this step forced me to do that. And through forcing me to do that, it allowed me to share that with another human and really feel that they didn't care or judge me over that situation. And they thought, you know what? I might have reacted the exact same way you did if I was in it. That's scary. I'm sorry you had to go through that. And that was just the first experience with, like, being accepted for who I really was um, and hugely important to the rest of my recovery.
0: Yeah, and I think there's some important things there in the fourth step is that, and this is actually going to lead to a question that I'm going to ask you. Um, in the fourth step, it's it's not a fifth step. You know what I mean? It's It's not revealing all this stuff. And, you know, my sponsor had explained it to me is, you know, it might not be him that I go over my fifth step with. Our fifth step does not have to be our sponsor, or all of that information doesn't have to be given to one person. That's so weird. You know, it, it doesn't, you know, that, that, and it's written that way on purpose, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean, all right, after I write out this whole inventory, I got to go tell my sponsor. Like, that's not what it means. You know, the, the point of it is to get it all out there so that we can, like, say, recognize some patterns, recognize our behavior in certain situations, maybe gain some insights like you're talking about into, hey, this wasn't your fault. You know, I was, sexually abused as a kid, you know, that wasn't my fault. It's okay to feel victimized in that situation. You know, it's okay to say, man, that shit was wrong. And someone took advantage of me. Like, and I didn't know how to do that before. Um, and I learned that. Uh, and I think, so the question that leads me to, cause, cause I've done this early on when I sponsored people and they did the fourth step out of the step working guide, I would say, okay, now it's time to go over your fourth step. And we would kind of go through that, what they wrote down, which what I realized was me putting them in a position of doing their fifth step because they're telling me all the stuff that they just wrote down by answering all these questions. In essence, they've just done their fifth step with me, maybe before they're even ready or they had made that decision. I, you know, I just recognized, I felt like I had taken that out of their hands. So now if you sponsor someone who's done a fourth step, what do you do you go over it with them? Like, do you sit there and go through all the questions and read their answers to you? And So I think maybe even more uh, of what you're
1: asking is, do I think you're supposed to go over your fifth step with your sponsor uh, or how
0: do I feel about going over it with others? Um, no, 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 not that. I mean, my question is that like because so what I do now, I, I change this in my behavior and I'm not you know again I don't know if it's right wrong or indifferent but now like after someone finishes their fourth step I'm like okay do you feel like you answered all those questions to the best of your ability you know do you feel like you left anything out of that okay you're done your fourth step start writing your fifth step and then we'll decide if it's me that you're going to go over it with because there are questions in the fifth step that help you decide who that person is that you're going to go over all that information with So, when someone finishes a fourth step, I just say, okay, if you think you're done, you're done. Go on to your fifth step. And then we'll decide if it's me that's going to go back through that with you or not.
1: So, I will say, uh, in doing a fourth step with a couple of guys, we went over it after the fourth step only to realize when we did the fifth step that the questions in the fifth step really seem like they're supposed to be answered before you go over step four. Yeah. In that sense, I would agree with you. Like, it honestly doesn't make any sense to, answer the, a lot, half the questions in step five in a step working guide don't make sense if you've already read step four with your sponsor. Right. And so it's like, well, that's kind of dumb. So to me that says, yeah, um, possibly step five in, in the guide should be worked before you go over four. So I, I will agree with that completely. Um, I just don't know how, and again, of course, like everything else, I have a lot of opinions and really they're kind of useless. Uh, I don't, I don't like the idea of going over my step with a few different people for different sections. I don't like the idea of going over it with somebody that's not my sponsor. Um, and again, uh, you know, again, these opinions work for me and I know you point that out regularly that we should not agree or we should not decide what's right for everyone based on what works for us. Um, I guess just from my set of beliefs, like if I think the point here is the freedom of being able to share this with another person. And if I don't feel like I can trust my sponsor like that, then maybe that's not the right sponsor for me. I don't know. I, I just can't imagine. And I, so for me, if I was to share parts of this with different people, I feel like I could use that to manipulate to not give the whole story, right? Like I could still hide behind, oh, well, I'm only going to tell you this part of it, which doesn't make me look too bad. And then I'll share this part that doesn't make me look too bad. But if I had to share all that together, it would make me look bad and I don't want to do that. So I feel right. like it gives me room to, to hide if I do that kind of stuff. What's your take on all that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that could be a possibility, but it doesn't have to be. You know, it's, it's so I probably have things that I'm more comfortable sharing with my wife. You know, we had been together longer than. I'd been with my sponsor at the time you know? <laughs> I had a closer, more intimate relationship with my wife and there was some things that her and I had talked about and shared about. And I don't think there was anything intentionally in my fourth step that I kept from my sponsor. Like it wasn't anything like that. Like, oh, I'm not going to tell him this, but I'm going to tell my wife that, but by the time I had done a fourth step and, and what things bothered me, um, I guess I felt like there were certain things that I had talked about during my process of recovery, during my relationship that I had kind of worked through and I didn't necessarily feel like needed to be rehashed in a four-step inventory.
1: How would you, right, how would you feel about a sponsee that said, hey, I'm just going to share this uh, with, you know, my priest. Uh, I don't, I don't really want you to know it or I don't feel comfortable sharing it with you or Or even just that feels like the place to share this. Like, doesn't that kind of hinder your ability to help them with like six and seven and eight and nine? Mm.
0: If they're answering the questions to the best of their ability, then I would say no. Hmm. Because, you know, as well as I do, me pointing out a defect that you don't take ownership of is almost pointless anyway. You might hear the words that I'm saying, but you're not going to do anything about it unless you recognize that it's a problem for you and your life and take ownership of that. You know, how many times he will give us advice, 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 you know, it's the right advice, but you don't take it. You don't do it because you're not willing to listen. So, hmm. Yeah, but we know there's nothing like, okay, so I guess my role as a sponsor, I don't feel like is to enlighten, like there's no information that I have that's totally unique to me that's going to save someone's life. And if I drove off a cliff tomorrow and anyone that I sponsor had to get a new sponsee, I don't feel like they would be denied anything. You know what I mean? Like the process of recovery, they would still gain whatever they were going to gain in spite of Me and my great, wonderful insights and great, wonderful information. Um, I feel like my role as a sponsor is to guide my sponsees along a path and that they're going to get out of that exactly what they're supposed to get out of that. Maybe not even the same thing that I got out of it.
1: I agree with that, that they are going to get it. I just, I guess for me, feeling like if they've asked me to sponsor them, I generally am that person with that spot to show them those things, right? Like, even if they're not hearing it right that minute, if they don't have any awareness of something, and, and like, I feel like they've chosen me to be the person to, to, to pull them up and say, hey, I kind of noticed this thing about you. I don't know if you've ever noticed it or not before. Like, I want to lovingly give you some awareness that maybe you should try to look for this and see if it, mm. it resonates with you. Like, I feel like they've asked
0: me to do that for them. And to me, I'll say this this to be my get out of jail free card for that is that I always go back to the old sponsorship pamphlet. And it says in there, our sponsors are not our marriage counselors, social workers, financial advisors. They are a guide through the 12 steps in Narcotics Anonymous. So my role as a sponsor is just to guide someone through the 12 steps. If we develop a relationship as a friendship or if I become someone that they look up to and admire, um, that's great. But, like, my first sponsor, who I love and helped me, you know, immeasurably early on in my recovery, as far as relationships went, he was a fucking basket case. He got married and then cheated on his wife, and then they separated, and he was dating all these chicks, still going back to his wife. You know, like, he had all these other, uh, I don't know, what it was his defects of character going on at that time in his life in relationships. So he was not someone that I went to for relationship advice. Didn't mean he wasn't a good guide through the steps. Doesn't mean the information that he gave me to keep me on my journey wasn't still important. It just, there's, I guess what I mean by that is all of us have areas of our lives that we're really good at and areas of our lives that we're not so good at And as a sponsor, I can't possibly be good at all areas of life to have the information that's going to help you in all areas of your life.
1: No, I dig it. And and I agree, you know, at its core. Yeah, we're a guide through the steps. Um, I am curious if they reworded the sponsorship pamphlet not that long ago. I'm curious if that part of it's still in there or not. I haven't. No, uh, it's
0: definitely not. It's a new one's all wishy-washy. No, no. the new one's. The new one is written like the sponsorship book. So have you read the sponsorship book? I completely passed on that when somebody told me it really didn't tell me how to do it. <laughs> no. It's a, well, I would encourage you to read some of it. I haven't read all of it. I would encourage you to read some of it so that you can see what I mean when I say it's very wishy-washy. They, It's, I don't know. It's useless. That's what I would say. <laughs> and so they, they took the sponsorship pamphlet and changed it to match along into that is basically like your sponsor can be anything it can be anybody it doesn't even matter in fact we don't even know if they need to be in the fellowship or not like it's just fucking crazy no way it's i mean i'm exaggerating a little bit but it's pretty bad (laughs) wow
1: i have i don't think i've read that i feel like the versions i have must be the old versions then i don't know yeah i'm gonna have to look into that um So I would say, yeah, okay, I agree, Uh, you know, sponsor guides you through the steps, but in a couple of steps, it mentions, like, hey, go to your sponsor or people you trust and ask them what your character defects are if you don't, you know, if you can't see them or your assets. And if I haven't heard my sponsee's fourth and fifth step, I might have some difficulty, especially if we don't have a relationship outside of the steps, like if we're not seeing each other at meetings, we're not friends, we're not talking regularly and we just go over step work, I feel like four and five are kind of crucial for me to be able to see what character defects are in their life.
0: Sort of. So I would say, uh, and I guess it's okay to say, so as your sponsor, do you think I'm not aware of some of your character defects at this point? <laughs> well, we, we talk a lot. Like we right. talk, we had that friendship
1: relationship. If we just met up to do steps, uh, I don't know that you would know. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So that's what I feel like if we only met up for steps, and that's the only iteration of sponsorship we use, uh, and you, I don't go over four and five with you or five with you because I, I do that with a priest because that's what I think is right for me. Then when I get to six, I come to you and I say, hey, it, you know, the step told me to ask you about what kind of defects I got, and all you've seen of me is that I wrote answers in steps one, two, and three, and, you know. I'm honest, open-minded, and willing as far as writing those three steps. I don't feel like you have, I don't know. And of course, you know.
0: Yeah, well, and all that, and all those hypotheticals. If if if, then yeah, you're probably right. If I have a sponsor that never calls me or doesn't go to any meetings, and they only ever work step work, and then we only ever meet to go over step work, I would be a hindrance in that situation. If there's a guy that yet, but if if all those <laughs> things happen, then yes, it would be if,
1: difficult. If that guy can only hit a meeting on Tuesday night at seven o'clock, that's three blocks from his house. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> right. So yeah, I can't, again, everything's not for everybody. I could just right. say for the most part. And the truth is I say all that to say when I've done my fourth and fifth steps have always been done with a sponsor. Um, it's just the way it's worked out. But again, I, I don't know. And I think I, I mean, it, I, I don't think I ever kept anything from a sponsor. But there's definitely no like secrets that I feel like I have in my life that I haven't shared with someone in recovery or people that I'm close with or, you know, at this point shared in meetings because I don't really care about any of it anymore. Not that I don't care about any of it. Um, And that was a a, get back to a little bit of the fourth step. So for me personally, like that was a big uh, uh, freeing part of the fourth step is that once I wrote all that stuff out, it seemed to have so much less Power or so much less uh, weight on me than it did before I wrote it. It was like letting go of a bunch of baggage, you know, even before I went over it with my sponsor. You know, it was like getting rid of like just all this tons of shit. You know, and I'm like, oh, it feels like a relief to be rid of all of this. Like, I, I don't have to carry this around anymore like a sack of rocks.
1: Damn, there's actually a good piece of the reading that's about that that I didn't copy, but it talked about uh, once we uh, have examined this stuff, you know, put it on paper, basically, we can choose whether to serve it, put a lid back on it, or throw it out. We no longer have to stew in it, right? So it almost doesn't matter what we do with it. Just the fact that we've gotten it to this point to look at it, like we can then, we don't have to just sit in our shit anymore, basically.
0: Right, and it's like taking what's taking what's useful out of it, taking what can help us grow and change as a person and letting go of the rest of that garbage. So I guess I I am a huge fan of sharing my fifth
1: step with my sponsor and, and believing that, you know, that is a very helpful thing for me. uh, And that will be my experience. And maybe there is some safety issue that I don't understand and I'm not aware of that makes it useful for other people to share it other places, and that's better for them. So that's where I will yeah. uh, I will be open-minded today. Um, and
0: my experience has been, like say, I think as far as I know, every sponsee that I've had that's done a fourth step has went over their fifth step with me. I don't think any of them have not. So that's right. <laughs> But I always tell, like, I try to set them up for. Look, if it's not me, I'm fine with that. My feelings won't be hurt, you know. I'm, I'm right. I understand. you know, you got to do because I have had, I have, you know, sponsees that are religious and that go to church and that are, you know, and if that's what they feel they need to do, that's cool too. But they still my wanna feelings hurt. are totally going to be hurt. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> <laughs> no, I have. Uh, I was thinking about this this morning. I actually have four sponsees right now writing on step four. Um, wow. Three of them for the first time and they are stalling. Uh, and then another guy for the, his second time and he's stalling. And and along with that, I am on my four step currently. Um, once again, I find myself sitting a little with my four step and not writing it. <laughs> so I, I blame college courses and papers
0: on why I don't. But really, I probably have a little time to invest in it. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, mine, same way. Like I did my first three steps when I first got clean and like, couple of months, you know, within like 90 days or four months, five months, something like that. And then it took me, I think, three years to finish my fourth step. Wow. And I wrote on it all that time. I mean, it, like life happened, you know what I mean? I got clean and I started a new career and I got a wife and we, well, she my wife at the time, but I got in a relationship and we moved in together and, you know, we got a house and it just started living life. And that process at the time seemed way less important now that i was clean and everything was happening for me that's so interesting yeah eventually i had a sponsor you know that sort of explained it you know that i always like is like the steps will come and get you you know it's i could see the same old patterns of behavior and patterns of thought kept popping up um that I started to notice, you know, like, Hey, wait a minute. This feels vaguely familiar. <laughs> like, I think I've been here before, you know, and, and that motivated me to pick up my step work and, and start working on it. And then when I finally decided to really get back into it, what I had done was I had made a commitment to, I'm going to do one hour a week. I said, I'll just, you know, whatever. I can't remember what night, let's say Tuesday night at seven o'clock. That's just like going to a meeting that's going to be my time that I write on my step for an hour. And I'm just going to do an hour. And some nights I did more than an hour. And other nights I did like an hour and I'm looking at the clock like it's 54 minutes. I guess I'll answer one more question and then I'm fucking done. Um, but it took that level of commitment to just be like I'm just going to do this because I need to do it. And eventually I got through it.
1: So I will say, I think when you say uh, the steps will come and get you, I think you just co-signed all my sponsees bullshit about sitting on this step. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I found this in our literature and kind of a little bit about what you were just saying. Um, And I sent it to a guy. I didn't, I wasn't going to read it here, but since I sent it to a sponsee this morning, why the hell not? It (laughs) says consistent action on our fourth step is important. We can't afford to delay work on our inventory once we begin writing, we need to continue our inventory until we are done. If we have a tendency to procrastinate, it is a good idea to set aside a certain amount of time each day to work on our inventory. Such a routine establishes our inventory as a high priority in our lives. If we put our fourth step away once we have begun, we run the risk of never returning to it. And so I just thought that was interesting. Like, I definitely, I mean, here I am working on one. I am not setting aside a portion of every day to write on it, or even like you just said, a portion of every week. Uh, But I guess that would establish it as a pretty goddamn high priority, and maybe I need to set a calendar hour, you know, for me to do that every week.
0: Yeah, and and I'm sure it's one of those things where I, I heard that reading or read that somewhere, and that's why I did what I did. I mean, most of my guidance and direction has come from, Either a sponsor or someone who said that in a meeting or I read that specific thing and said, hey, I'm going to (laughs) try. These people tend to say things that help me out. So maybe I'll take this advice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the last thing I had uh, was – oh. Another question we should ask ourselves now is, is there anything in this inventory that is either an exaggeration of what actually happened or something that's not true at all? And that's not anything uh, novel. We kind of mentioned that earlier when we talked about our, our you know, our image of ourselves being somewhat distorted by the lies we've told of who we were. I mean, I, when I spent some time, uh, you know, incarcerated, I definitely instantly became a drug dealer, uh, and tried to tell stories similar to that, that other people had told me about how we cook stuff up or how we sold things. And like, that was nowhere near any kind of reality for my life. I never Mm -hmm. sold drugs whatsoever, but it seemed way cooler to be locked up for that. Uh, and so, you know, I, I just think it's a huge, a huge part of my life was getting away from feeling the need to lie or to be something different, to be enough. Right. It was just learning that I could be enough in me.
0: Yeah. And I mean, when I when I hear that, I actually thought of something a little different Um, because I remember I was in jail and telling same kind of lies, you know, and and told people, you know, oh, yeah, I was dealing and all this other stuff. And uh, I'll chalk that up to survival mechanisms or whatever. And, you know, to me, that stuff wasn't as important as like the biggest lie I think I told myself uh, for the longest time that kept me trapped in addiction is that no one loves me, no one cares about me, and no one's ever going to do anything for me. I got to do it all for myself. I got to, you know, and I had a family, parents that loved and cared about me. I had relatives and people that loved and cared about me. Um, But the lie I had convinced myself was that nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, and no one's here to help me. Mm. Uh, That, you know, just kept me in a state of self-pity and, and justification for all sorts of behaviors and, and all sorts of things. And that lie, you know, hurt me way more than any dumb bullshit story that I told to some asshole that I met in fucking the jail. You know? (laughs) Right. Right.
1: No, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think, I think what you're saying surely applies to me too. I just, I know that it was always that feeling of when I got around the people who supposedly quote unquote were cool. Right. Um, And and for whatever reason, my generation, it, it seemed like we were raised to think criminals were cool and, and mobsters and crime and, Whenever I got into that element, I never felt enough because I kind of grew up as like a dorkier bookworm kind of kid who was smart. And so I always wanted to be accepted by the cool kids. And so it was pretty important to me, even though it just seemed like a jailhouse lie. It was just all part of that lifestyle of trying to be something else because I I didn't feel like I had enough. (laughs) I wasn't enough being who I was. Yeah. So what was that AA thing that really stuck out to
0: you? Oh, yeah. So in, uh, again, some AA literature I was reading, they had a good, what I would call almost like a summation of what I took kind of from from their uh, writing on this. Hold on one second. Let me find it here. So it says, now, the newcomer has probably arrived at the following conclusion, that his character defects representing instincts gone astray have been the primary cause of his drinking and his failure at life that unless he is now willing to work hard at the elimination of the worst of these defects both sobriety and peace of mind will still elude him that all the faulty foundations of his life will have to be torn out and built anew on bedrock now willing to commence the search for his own defects he will ask Just how do I go about this? How do I take an inventory of myself? And so, yeah, I thought pretty interesting. I I thought it was kind of a good summation of like, you know, that at the end of the road, when we figure out all our best thinking and best ideas and, and best fucking go at this thing called life, you know, have totally let us down and failed us. You know, how do we figure out? Okay. I need to get on a new path. I need to, to sort of fucking get my course, you know, back on.
1: Yeah. So I, what I find a little bit interesting, uh, almost they use similar wording that we do, but we use it in a different way. Sometimes we talk about like one, two and three being the foundation steps of our recovery. And they go on to say that like four, in for, we sort of realize that we need to go and rip out the foundation of our life, like what our core has been based on and sort of reevaluate building that into something, you know, more sustainable that, that means more to us. And I, I like that. I like imagery, right? I like analogies. Yeah. I'm always a fan of that. I will say though, that you're, you're right. It's always hard for me to understand.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. God. God.
1: How are they going to get like younger members to read their literature?
0: Yeah, it really does sometimes feel like and I hate to say this because I have nothing but respect for A.A. and the people in A.A., but it, it feels like I'm reading the King James Bible sometimes when I'm reading through some of that stuff. And it's really tough.
1: <laughs> Who the hell says bedrock besides like engineers planning a building at this point? <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know. It's very oh, weird. Good. Um So I think that's probably all. I can think about to say on the four step. Of course, the best quote out of uh, NA literature about the four step. The only way to write a four step is to write it. Um, you know, that whole theorizing about it, talking about <laughs> it, thinking about it. None of that's going to get it done. Like just sit right. down, put the pen to paper. No matter what format you use. Like you mentioned, there's the people who write their life story. Um, there's the questions in the in the step working guide that talk about resentments and fears and relationships and sex and all the parts of our lives that have led us astray or or not gone the way we hope they would because of our different belief systems. I've seen um, and I've actually worked some different spreadsheets on step four that I think are super cool where you sort of list the thing in the left side and then the next column is, you know, what your part in it was. And then all the way down to the right side where you get to the exact nature, right? The what was it? What weird belief about life did I have that caused me to act this way or feel this way about it? Um, And so there's a a billion ways to do it. I think they're all great. Um, I think the steps and definitely starting here are just like the most loving and caring thing I could ever do for myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if I, if I really uh, loved a person romantically in life, my drive is to know as much as I can about them. I just want to know so much about them and I'm so interested. And like, I think it's that kind of investment in myself. Like I, I love me enough that I really am interested in who I truly am and, and what is it I like and, and pursuing that and, you know, examining things as if I, I've never done them before and seeing if I like them or
0: not. And this is the beginning of that process for me. Yeah. And in the beginning for me, I don't know if I so much loved myself, but I felt uh, maybe a little less hate for myself and a little more curious about the person I could possibly be. You know, I felt so confused about the person I'd been using, you know, and, and that idea in my head that uh, I needed to, to sort through some of that and figure out, you know, wow, what, what am I, what am I about? What do I really think? What do I really believe? You <laughs> know, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah,
1: early on, there was not it was not a place of self love. I, I didn't mean to come across that way. If that's what I said, that's more of today. no. You didn't say
0: that. Yeah,
1: uh, <laughs> uh, definitely. Early on, I was just as confused as you. I mean, in addiction, when people said, uh, "Why are you acting this way? Why can't you get your life together?" My answer was always, "I don't know," because I was yeah. Right? Like, right, I don't get it. I I want to do something different. Why can't I? And so I. Yeah, that's where I attack this step from. Like, I'm curious, what the hell's wrong with me? I can't seem to do what I think I want to do. And here is where our lack of skills in recording across the internet uh, and possibly the overburdening of technology uh, right now as everybody uses it came into play. Uh, The rest of this episode had a very bad echo every time that Billy talked, bad to the point where, uh, as disappointing as it is to cut it out, it was really not... um, tolerable to listen to. And so I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope uh, it was a good talk about the fourth step. Uh, We had pretty much wrapped that up and moved on to other topics. And so please uh, work your steps, enjoy your life, love each other, be kind to people, be open-minded, take care of yourself, stay safe, and we'll see you next week. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof@gmail.com, at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.